We need, we need a different kind of juice. And listen, I want to start a new sermon series this week. And, uh, and we're going to carry it on for the next several weeks. And it's a sermon series about the Holy Spirit. And it's called Be Always Being Filled. But before we get into this, if you would, I just want us to go ahead and pray. And let's just uh, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. And let's just prepare ourselves for the Word. So, Father, we thank you this morning, God, for what you're doing. We're thankful for your presence in our midst. And Lord God, we believe that when we speak and proclaim your word, that your Holy Spirit is here to bring life to it, God. Because the words that you speak, they are spirit and they are life. And God, your words are able to penetrate the depths of our heart, to break chains and to bring freedom into us. And so we open ourselves to you this morning. We ask you, Father, to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So listen, you know, the, the Holy Spirit, we talk about Him quite often, I think, and then sometimes we don't talk about Him as much. And there's been a lot of confusion over the years concerning the Holy Spirit. But let me just start out very simply this morning. And What you have to understand about the Holy Spirit is He is the person of the Godhead. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit, and they are three in one. But the Holy Spirit is the person in the Godhead that has come to enforce the victory that Jesus won on the cross. He's the guy that has showed up to say, hey, Jesus on the cross died for your sins. He won a battle for your salvation. He paid for your redemption. You can be redeemed. You can be a new creation. And you can be empowered now to bring about the kingdom in the same way that Jesus Christ did. I mean, when we talk about Jesus Christ, the reason His name is Christ is because that word literally means anointed one. It means that Jesus, Yeshua, was the one anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring about the kingdom of God on this earth. Earth to destroy the works of the devil and bring about God's dominion. And so when we call ourselves Christians, we're literally saying we are little Christ. We're little anointed ones. We are ones that are filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue the works of Jesus here on earth, to destroy the works of the devil and to set up God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And now we know that ultimately we're not going to set up the fullness of God's kingdom, are we? We're in the already, but the not yet. We see God doing a lot of things in our midst, but we don't see the fullness of it yet. There are battles that we, th that we face. We pray for people to be healed, and sometimes we see it, but ultimately we see death a lot of times because you know that the Scripture says that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. But until Jesus comes back and restores all things on this planet, He's given us a mandate here to be filled with His Spirit as the body of Christ and to carry out His works here on this planet while we're here. Amen? And so you can take a lot of things away from the church, right? Somebody come in last week and they, they, they looked at our air sanitizer and they said, Oh my gosh, this church has went and got a smoke machine. <laughs> oh, can't have that. Got to leave. You know, there's a lot of things you can have in the church that are really honestly meaningless at the end of the day. And it wouldn't matter if you took them away. It wouldn't matter if you took away the lights. It wouldn't matter if you took away certain things. We could even take away the guitar. We could take away worship to some degree. We could take away music. We could take away a lot of things, but if you take away the Holy Spirit, you no longer have a church. It ceases to be the church of Jesus Christ. There is no power, there is no spirit, and there is no life. And let me say this before we get into it, because I'm going to unpack a lot of things in this series concerning the Holy Spirit. And what I know about this church is something that I love. What, what I know about this church is like we don't just have Pentecostals. We don't just have Baptists. We don't just have Presbyterians. We have people that come from a variety of backgrounds to center on the one main thing. That is Jesus Christ, the Word that he has given us and you know what we can look over the minor details that we may disagree on because we're heading in one direction and what I believe God is doing in these last days is he's saying I need a people that are coming from a variety of backgrounds that can overlook small differences to say you know what we need to be about the main thing we need to be about the Father's business. And so you can have all kinds of disagreements, and we do sometimes. And we can even have different views on the Holy Spirit. But what I want to do is unpack the Holy Spirit and teaching about Him and ask Him to move in our midst over the next several weeks. Because here's what I believe. I don't believe... I think some people get so confused, and I understand why they do. Because I've been a part of movements where when we talk about the Holy Spirit, like I've said before, everybody thinks the Holy Spirit is just Jesus' crazy step-cousin. Like He's the dude that shows up wilder in a buck all the time. You know what I'm saying? And that's not who the Holy Spirit is. So when I talk about a move of the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about somebody flopping like a fish in the floor. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about conviction being in the hearts of sinners. 
I'm talking about people being broken before the Lord and repenting of sin that they've never been convicted of before in their life. I'm talking about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit where people begin to respond to Jesus for salvation. I'm talking about an outpouring of the Spirit where people say, I'm tired of living the way that I used to live. I see God now. I see the glory of Jesus. I have a hunger for His Word. I have a desire to be in His presence. I don't want to just come into the church service on Sunday and be quiet and sit still. I want to respond to God. I've got a hunger for His presence. And not only that, but when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you do see people healed. You see people healed uh, physically, but also spiritually and emotionally and mentally. The power of God comes and changes people's lives. You see people that are delivered from, from years and years of bondage that they've been through. You see families restored. You see marriages restored. When there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it shows up in a real way, not a crazy way. And I think that we're coming to the point where we're starting to realize this because what I want more than anything, I want a true move of the Holy Spirit. I want something genuine. I want something pure. And I believe that you are with me whenever I say that. I don't think anybody in here would disagree with that regardless of what your background is or what you've believed about the Holy Spirit in the past. But God wants to pour out His Spirit in our midst. And I believe that's what He's been laying on my heart. But, I said, but it's, when we see it happen, you're going to see it happening in those ways. And we want to be people that are people of the Word and the Spirit. We take the Word of God seriously here. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. Like That's why I preach lots of it on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? I got like 37 verses I'm probably going to read today. And I, you know what I mean? We are people of the Word, and we want to always be people of the Word. But see, we're not just people of the Word. We are people of the Word and the Spirit, and the two should be married together. We take seriously the Word of God. We take seriously the Spirit of God and Him moving in our midst. And here's what people tend to do when they don't marry the two together. You can emphasize the Word of God to the degree that you begin to get to a place where you, you, you move away from the Holy Spirit and God actually doing anything in your midst. It's all about the knowledge, Bible knowledge. Got to have it. And look, man, I'm, I, I'm all about Bible knowledge. I love the Bible more than anybody in here. I read it every single day of my life, and I don't just read it, I study it. And I believe that every believer should. But my point being is, is that sometimes you can become a church that all you focus on is the Word of God to the degree that you leave off the Holy Spirit, and you can actually lean into doctrinal idolatry. And then all of a sudden, all you want to do is argue and debate over little things that don't amount to anything because the Spirit of God is not at work in your midst. And see, but then on the other hand, you can get into a place where all you emphasize is the Spirit and all you really want is another experience. You don't care anything about the Word. You don't even want to hear the Word preached. What you want is everybody going buck wild up front. Anybody amen? And I got to be honest with you. I like it when people get loose. I like it when people get free. But I don't like it when people get crazy and draw attention away from Jesus and unto themselves. When the Holy Spirit is at work, He doesn't draw attention to you. He draws attention always to Jesus. And so we're looking to navigate this. How do we be people of the Word and have a grounded foundation in the Word of God, but also say, Holy Spirit, unless you breathe on your Word and move in our midst, we're dead and we are drier than cracker juice. Somebody amen me. I don't want to be drier than cracker juice. If you've ever tried to drink it, it is bad. Okay? You ain't going to be able to swallow it. It's like, it's like eating one of them crackers with peanut butter on it and not having no milk to wash it down, man. You can't have the Word of God without the Holy Spirit breathing life on it. Amen. And so in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, see, Paul talks about this because he says, For our gospel, it did not come to you in word only, but watch this, also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Man, I pray sometimes. I say, Lord, I don't want to get up there and just preach a message that has no power and your Spirit's not moving in people's hearts. Where they just say, man, that was good, Clay. I really, you know what? I can't wait till the day, when, which a lot of people don't say good message after I'm done. Some do, but a lot don't. But I can't wait till the day where people are not so enamored by what I say from the, from the stage, but when people are enamored by the move of God in their hearts. Man, I want that so badly. And the Word is what, what, what paves the way for this to happen, no doubt. But he said when the gospel came, he said it didn't come to you in Word only. It came in power and it came in the Holy Spirit. And he told the same thing to the Corinthian church. He said, when I came among you, he said, I set it in my heart to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. And he said, and my words in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. And in other words, he's saying it wasn't just my goal to convince you to believe in Jesus. I was counting on the fact that when I declared the Word of God, the Spirit of God and the power of God would be at work to bring transformation in your life. 
Somebody say amen to that this morning. And that's what we as a body of believers need to be praying for, that God would move. Because here's what I want you to understand. When we are grounded in the Word of God as a body of believers, but we are also filled with the Holy Spirit, man, the devil begins to get scared because he realizes that you are equipped to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven and that you are about to destroy his kingdom. Amen. And that's the kind of people that we want to be. The last words that were on Jesus' lips before he left the earth were, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But if I'm being honest, and I evaluate the church at large, when I look at the church and, and I think about the church and I meditate on the church and I read Scripture, power is not necessarily the, the word or the, 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 I guess the descriptor, the adjective that I would use to describe the church at large, would you, would you say, man, they're just full of power everywhere you go. You walk in the building, they're just full of power. And I'm thinking, nah, maybe not, not, not quite. Like, like there's, there's probably still more. And here's what I want you to understand. Growing up my entire life, I, I, I had this image of what Christianity was. And I, I understood, you know, that we had to believe in Jesus and this and that. But at, at the end of the day, I really, I was powerless to overcome the obstacles in my life. And what I didn't realize is that there was more to my experience in Christianity than what I had already experienced. And what I need you to know is there is more of God available for each and every one of you. I don't care what you think, what your past has been. Would you agree with me that there is more God available for you right now? That there is more that God wants to fill you with of His Holy Spirit. That there's more that He wants to show you. That He wants to empower you to do greater things. That He wants to break chains off of your life in a greater way. And if I had known that there was more available to me, I think I probably would have sought Him a lot earlier. But He's drawing us into this place where He's saying, Look, there's more available to you in the kingdom of God. And I believe with all of my heart that Satan opposes the doctrine and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And he tries to keep us on these extremes. Either we're so scared of Him that we never want to talk about Him on one side. Or we forget who He actually is and why He's given on the other side. And we go half wild and get turned into lunatics. And we want to be neither one. We want to be people filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are, we look like Christ. My Lord, that's good. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of Christ. When He fills you, He makes you like Jesus more and more. He turns you into a man that does things like Jesus does, and that's what happens. But before I, that's my intro, right, to, to, the, to this sermon series, which is be always being filled, and we'll get into that phrase. Somebody said, I have no idea what that phrase means. I'll get into it. But this sermon today, first things first, I don't want to get the, the, the cart before the horse. First things first, this sermon today is going to be called Born of the Spirit because we've got to start out where the Spirit starts out and we want to talk about regeneration. There's this fancy biblical word called regeneration and it literally means be born again, to be born again. And in Titus 3, verse 3 through 7, notice what it says. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish... Were you ever foolish, anybody? Amen. Oh, praise God. I know I was. I still am a little bit. I got issues. But we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Notice that phrase in particular. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, just in this passage of Scripture, you've got a lot of big Bible words, right? You, you talk, you're talking about saved. You're talking about regeneration. It's talking about justification. And these are all words in the beginning that have to do with our initial salvation when the Holy Spirit does a work in us when we first get saved. And this is a good question for us to ask. Like, if, if I'm showing up at church regularly, I probably need to ask myself, hey, am I born again? Am I born of the Spirit of God? Has there been a change in my life where I realized that I was a dead man that has come to life? Because when we're talking about Christianity, we're not just talking about another spirituality where you come in and you do like spiritual things, but there's, we're talking about something where God gets down on the inside of us and makes us a new creation. We're not who we used to be. Something is radically transformed on the inside of us. But notice what he says in these verses, because number one, point number one, you need to understand that being born again is not due 
to my good works. I'm not born again. The Spirit of God doesn't necessarily do something in my life because of my good works. And specifically, the work of salvation in my life is not because of any good that I've done. And this is what he says in verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. You know, we live in a time and age where, like, if kids play sports, they get, everybody gets a participation trophy. They st- do they do that still? Anybody know of any people? That, like, everybody gets a participation trophy. To me, and probably to you too, that rubs a little bit weirdly in your heart, right? Because if everybody gets one, it means nothing to everybody. Would you agree with that? It's just like if, if we just said, you know what, at the end of the day, when we, when we die, everybody goes to heaven just because you participated on earth. Do you know that one of the things that makes heaven heaven is the people that are there actually want to be there? And people who live their lives on earth, people say, well, I want to go to heaven. But see, heaven is not about you just having a good time and having a party. Heaven is about the fact that you worship the one who created heaven. And when you go to heaven, you want to be there because you, you demonstrate it. You demonstrate that you want to be in heaven by the life you live here on earth. Do you have heavenly qualities? Do you you seek to bring about what will not be in heaven here on earth and what will be in heaven here on earth? Is that what your life is about? So the very reason that we go to heaven, see, it's it's not not everybody's going. And that's a difficult thing for people in our world today because everybody just lives this life where they say, you know what, well, here's the thing. I, I... I just got this feeling that good people are going to go to heaven at the end of the day, that, that God's not going to be that harsh and critical. And, and here's the thing. Here's what I believe about God. I believe that His mercy triumphs over His judgment. I truly do. I believe that probably when we meet God face to face, we will be astounded at His mercy and at His love and at His grace. But at the same time, I think we have to begin to understand that Many Americans believe that every good person is going to go to heaven. And basically, that's what we're basing it on. Now, I don't know about you, but before I really got into the Bible, which is an issue, you have, when you, when you don't read the Bible, here's what I want you to understand. You come up with your own religion. You realize that? I don't know if you did. When you don't read the Bible, you begin to come up with your own religion. You believe your own things about God, what He does, what you should believe, why He does what He does. I came up with my own religion when I was a teenager. And when I was in college and we were sitting around passing the doobie, you know what I'm talking about? We would philosophize about what God was like and what He did and what we should believe. And at the end of the day, we'd just sit back real relaxed and be like, you know what, man, we ain't hurting nobody. The Lord loves us. Everything's going to be good. We're, going, we're all going to heaven, man. And we would say that. But see, we're basing that what? On our good works, which honestly we weren't doing many of. But if we judged ourselves, we believed we were good people. But see, this doesn't work out biblically because the Bible teaches. And Jesus even said, people talk about, we talk about woke Jesus, you know, like he comes in. Jesus actually told a man one time, they said, hey, Jesus, good teacher. You know what Jesus said? There's none good but God. He just called him out like that. What, what are you talking about? There's none good. You telling me I'm not a good person, Jesus? How could you say that to somebody? There's none good but God. There's good people everywhere. There's good people all over our community. And you stand up and be real self-righteous about that. But see, the Bible, and Paul goes on to say it again. He says in Romans 3, there is none good, no, not one. And what he's trying to say is he's trying to get down at this base thing and you understand that ultimately you cannot and you will not be saved according to your own goodness. You will not be saved because you're a good person. You will not be saved because you do good works. It will not happen. I don't care how many old ladies you help across the street. It does not matter. No one will be saved by their good works or according to their righteous deeds. It says, but by His mercy, He saved us. Because, and it says, through the washing of regeneration and through the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So good works are a good thing, but ultimately it is not what saves us. And honestly, let me ask you this. Let's just say for a minute God did grade us. Because when we grade ourselves like, you know what we do as human beings? We look at another person and we judge them and we say, golly, they're awful people. But when we look in at ourselves, often we say, I'm a pretty good dude. Anybody amen me on that, right? Most of the time, that's generally what we do. And, 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 and that's the reason we have this problem where we will look at the speck in another brother's eye, but won't pull the plank out of our own. 
And this is what he's saying when he says don't judge. He's not saying don't make a righteous call or don't discern whether somebody's doing evil or not because sometimes you need to discern this person's doing evil and we're not going to have part with that, right? But what he's saying is you don't need to be passing critical judgment on people when really in reality you're no different than them. He said there's one judge... And ultimately, if I'm going to judge you according to your works, you need to understand that I'm not judging you according to how you judge yourself. Like, and even if he did, though, like, what would you have to do to pass? You know what I'm saying? I, look, when I got my master's degree, I had like a 3.98. They gave me a gold medallion out of 80 people, you know what I'm saying, that graduated. And not everybody got a gold medallion. So it felt real special to me when they gave me that thing. I was like, look here, I got a gold medallion. I'm probably going to be in heaven a little bit higher than y'all, you know what I'm saying? This is a theology award. And they gave me that. I don't even know where I was going with that. It just came out of nowhere. That probably wasn't the Holy Spirit. But see, when I, I got a 3.98, get this. Because I had a, 90, a couple of 94s on my averages. You know what I'm saying? A couple of 94s. And I, I said, what? I should have a 4.0. They said, no, sir, uh, A plus is 96 or above. You had two 94s, that's two A minuses. Brings your GPA down. I said, what in the world, what kind of grading system is this? <laughs> I would have tried a little bit harder if he'd told me that. I'd have bumped that 94 up. But here's what I want you to understand is that, is that like Jesus ain't sitting, God ain't sitting over here going like, ha, well, you know, you're at gates of heaven here. Got a 75, you pass, barely, come on in. Like if you do 75% good works, 25% bad works, no, that's not how he grades. He actually grades on absolute perfection. He doesn't grade. I remember one time I took a test in historical theology, and I, stu- and I, man, I worked hard to do it, and I remember I busted the curve on that thing, and everybody got real mad at me, right? Because I just I broke that thing. You know what I mean? And, and see, there's a, there's a curve buster in our world, and his name was Jesus Christ. He did everything flawlessly. He busted the curve. He's not going to grade you on a curve. He's going to grade you by the cross. He's going to grade you by the blood of the Lamb. And what you have to understand is that something happens when the Holy Spirit begins to awaken your heart and your heart is turned toward Jesus. You know what scares me is when people talk about God a lot, but they don't talk about Jesus and the work that Jesus did. Because God is a very specific being. And God revealed Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're just talking about some God out there in the heavens and not, and not understanding that the God that we know, He revealed Himself very specifically by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins. And you can say you believe in God all you want to, but if you've not been to the cross and repented of your sins and put faith in Him, then that work that the Spirit needs to do in your heart has not happened. And listen, we need a generation that will boldly proclaim this gospel truth. That will boldly proclaim that there's one way to the Father. It's through the cross. This is where, how we're going to be judged. Not based on what we have done, but based on what Christ has done in our faith in Him. And here's what it says in verse 7 of, of Titus 3. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now I love this because justified is basically a word that means you show up before the judge... And the judge says, you're acquitted, you're righteous. You stand before God, you're righteous, you're acquitted, you're not guilty. I love that word, right? I'm justified before God because of... That means when he judges me, he says, look, you're not guilty, why? I said, why? I've done all this stuff. He said, somebody's already paid for your sins. You're not guilty, you're acquitted, you're justified, and therefore now you have the hope of eternal life. And he's saying that. But let me put up this slide about faith in Christ. I need you to understand this because... The green one is the one that works, right? This is the right one. The two red ones are wrong. But what we believe as believers in Christ is that to be saved, it's faith in Christ equals your justification plus works. What does that mean? The Bible says in in, in Ephesians 2, it says that you have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Jesus, which He has foreordained that we should walk in them. And so what He's saying is, is that the Holy Spirit gives you the gift of faith in your heart. And the Holy Spirit begins to draw you. You respond with that measure of faith that He has given you, and you are justified before you even do anything right. Amen. 
That's good news. But the issue is, is that once you are justified, you are born again. So then works naturally begin to flow from you because you're now a new creation. Now, the Reformation back in the 1500s happened because, and there are honestly still a lot of churches and a lot of Christians that still believe it this second way, that it's faith in Christ plus works and then you're justified. Uh, in other words, you need, to, you need to believe in Jesus, but then you need to do a whole lot of good works and maybe if you're lucky, when you stand before God, He'll receive you into heaven. He's not going to receive you into heaven based on what you do again. Amen? So you can't add works to your salvation. Works flow out of you because of your salvation. That's, that's a good doctrinal truth for us to know. Because I, I've been in churches, man, where it's like people say over and over again, they'll get up and testify, man, I'm just working hard to get to heaven. Well, you need to quit working so hard. Somebody's already done it for you, praise God. But now, now if you want to say now, now I, and bear witness to the fact that I know that I am saved, we know that we're saved. Why? Because we see a transformed life. It's something that comes in us. But then here's the one that's happening right now in our generation that's honestly one of the scariest ones. And that is faith in Christ equals justification minus works. In other words, what they say is all you got to do, honey, is believe in Jesus. You can continue to live like the devil. You can continue in your sin. You don't have to repent. Just believe in Jesus. Say He is Lord. Say a prayer and don't be transformed and you'll be fine. You'll make it into heaven. That's false doctrine, right? Somebody had me admit, oh, nobody wants to hear that on Sunday morning. Don't say that, Clay. That's offensive. But my point being is, is that we need to understand that this is how we have right standing before God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not based on any of our works. That's number two, right? Number two is to be born again is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not my work, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. In verse 5, again, it said, Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So these two ideas, you've got one negative idea and one positive. In other words, he's saying when you got saved, when you got born again, it was through the washing of regeneration. In other words, your spirit was made new and he took, some, he took like some of that heavy-duty crown scrub, you know what I'm talking about, and cleaned you up on the inside and, and, and washed away all of the filthiness and drove out the darkness and emptied you out and then he gave you the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, he cleanses you so that you can now be filled with His Spirit. And here's what I see a big issue for people. God cannot fill up what is already full. You ever tried to fill a cup up? Like, like if, I go, if I go and I get a cup and I say, man, I'd like to fill that up with Dr. Pepper, right? But it's already full of water. What happens if I put Dr. Pepper in it? It just runs over and it's diluted. And what happens is, is God wants to fill you to overflow with His Spirit, but the problem is, is you're still too full of the world and you're still too full of unconfessed sin that you've never dealt with. And I'm, t I'm telling you, this is, a, this is one of the greatest truths in Christianity that people do not, they just like to skip it over because it's just a little bit too difficult. Everybody wants the fullness of God without the repentance of sin. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is so good. Because if I had not really, truly, it was at the point that I said, God, I'm sick of my sin. I'm sick of living the way that I used to live. And at that point of true repentance, the Holy Spirit was poured out on me. And he's saying, look, I need to cleanse you. I need to drive some things out of you. But you've got to let go of some things. You've got to allow yourself to be emptied so that I might fill you afresh. And some of us were just too full. We're just too full with the world and so many distractions and so many other things. And God's saying, if you would just empty yourself before me and repent, I've paid a price so that you could be cleansed, you could be refreshed, and I will renew you. I will regenerate you by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, in Ezekiel 36, verse 25 through 27, he prophesied about this renewal, about this born-again experience. He said, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. That's regeneration. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. What's he saying? Now this is very interesting because a lot of times we... we in America, we've come up with this saying, invite Jesus into your heart, invite Jesus into your heart. And I'm fine with that. I get what people are saying. But at the end of the day, do you realize that Jesus wants nothing to do with your heart? He's not coming to live in your current heart. He's coming to take your heart out and give you a new one. 
He's given you a heart transplant because He knows that your heart left to itself is desperately wicked and deceitful. And He can't just come live in your current heart. He needs to take your current heart out and give you a new one. Give you a transplant. He says, and I'm going to cleanse you. And then he says, and then I'm going to put a new spirit within you. That's regeneration because the Bible teaches that in your sins and in your trespasses, you're actually dead to God, right? And not, not in a sense like he's like, you're dead to me. No, that's not what I said. Your spirit is dead and you need new life. You need to be born again. And he says, I put a new spirit in you and then I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my ways. So when God gets a hold of your life, you're actually going to feel an intense pull toward doing the things of God that He's called you to do. Amen? He begins to take leadership of your life. Now, regeneration, this is very interesting because that word, right? And I know y'all love, uh, y'all love the Greek language, right? I give you a Greek word every now and then. Everybody's like, I don't know why, but thanks, Clay. <laughs> regeneration is this word pal- palingenesis, right? And the word is only two times in the New Testament. This time in Titus that I read, it's talking about you being born in the Spirit. But Jesus mentions this word one other time, and it's very interesting. In Matthew 19, 28, it says, So Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, and there's that word, the new world is what he's talking about. When the Son of Man sits on His throne in His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you don't just need to be the only one that's going to be regenerated. He says when I come back, I'm regenerating the entire world. Now here's what we think about salvation. We assume that when we get saved, we're getting saved from this world so that we can go to heaven. But what the Bible teaches is that when you're getting saved, you're getting renewed and becoming regenerated so that when you go to heaven, you will return with Christ who will regenerate the entire world and you will rule and reign with Him right here on a newly renovated earth. Amen. That is full of the glory of God and the heavens and the earth shall become one. This world will be without end. Amen. I love that. Because what it lets me know is that, yeah, when I die and my spirit departs this body, I'm going to go be with the Lord in heaven. But guess what? That is not where it ends. We're not floating on clouds for the rest of our lives. We're returning with Jesus Christ, and He will regenerate this world. Because you're not the only thing that needs to be regenerated. You're not the only thing that needs to be brought to life. We live in a world, if you notice it, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, everything is out of whack. The animals are dying prematurely. Things get sick. There's diseases running rampant. And those things will be put to death in the end. And God will regenerate this entire world. But in order to rule and reign, He needs regenerated people. Right? In a regenerated world. You remember Jesus, He had this conversation with a man named Nicodemus about the new, new birth. And Nicodemus, get this man, he knew God. He loved God. He was a very religious person. He read the Bible. He was was a member of the Sadducees. He would have memorized the first five books of the Bible and most of the Old Testament. And he comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid of what what his buddies at church, you know, will think of him. He's going over talking to that Jesus guy, you know. And so he's afraid. So he comes to him at night in secret, and he begins to say stuff like, he says, good teacher. He says, like, we know that in order for you to do the miracles that you're doing, man, you got to be from God. And here's what he says in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And notice this. Jesus says, let's get straight to the point here. You want to talk about miracles? Cool. But I need to get to the point. I need to do first things first. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he says, listen, unless you're born of the Spirit, Nicodemus, he said, it's not about your temple attendance. It's not about how much of the Bible you know. 
It really comes down to the matter of is the Spirit of God, has He done a regenerating work in you? Are you a new creation? Are you born again? And He's talking to Him about this work of the Spirit. And he says you're born of the water and the Spirit. And most scholars would say, you know, some would say, well, he's talking about water being physically born, and then he's talking about Spirit being spiritually born. And then some scholars would say, no, he's actually making a reference to Ezekiel 36 that I just read to you because he's talking about the cleansing water of the Holy Spirit and then you being breathed back into life. But he gives this, he gives this sign. He talks, about, he talks about, he says, you're not going to be able to see or enter the kingdom of God. In other words, and have y'all ever talked about the things of God to somebody and it's just like they just do not get it? They just don't understand it. Well, see, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't be able to perceive the things of the kingdom of God. There'll be foolishness to you. The things of the Spirit will just, they won't make any sense. And, and, and we see an entire world that it doesn't make any sense. But here, here's what I want you to understand. They're not left alone because the Spirit of God is still at work drawing people, convicting people, moving in people's hearts. And that's one of the things that we need to understand. But see, the, the word Spirit, and he gives this analogy of the wind. I went outside yesterday. Y'all ever been outside and all of a sudden you just notice a wind gust? And Jesus is saying that. He said, you know, it's kind of like the wind. He says, you don't know where it came from or where it's going. It just shows up and you feel it. And the Spirit really moves in the same way. And sometimes even when we're up here worshiping, we talk about this. We talk about this aspect of the Spirit. Because some Sunday mornings you come in here and right, you're just worshiping, you're going through the motions, it's drier than cracker juice. And then all of a sudden, though, something happens. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it came from. Maybe somebody sang the right note. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit begins to work in hearts and tears begin to stream down people's faces and people are convicted of sin and people come to the altar to be prayed for and you don't know where it came from or where, where it's going after that, but you see the work of the Holy Spirit and He starts to move in your midst. And man, what we're praying for and what I'm asking you to pray for as a church, if, if you don't pray nothing else during the day, I want you to say, Lord, we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. When you wake up, when you're driving to work, say, Lord, fill me today with your Holy Spirit. I'm open to your infilling. I want you to fill me up. And I want you to pour out your Spirit in our community. God, show up wherever you want to because we need your work. We need your work in our midst. You know, last week, I remember Tyler Finley. Some people think we plan everything out, which we plan some things out. But Tyler Finley felt moved by the Holy Spirit to speak about a word for encouraging mothers, Right? And he's moved by the Spirit. And when he begins to speak, I cannot tell you. The thing is, he spoke a few simple words and prayed. And the Spirit of God worked in people's hearts. Because he was obedient right, to the, to the move of the Spirit in that sense. And, and here's the thing. You can tell when it's truly the Holy Spirit, right? There's a certain attitude with it. There's a certain... It's, it, people, people are broke. Like, there's something that happens when it's the true move of the Holy Spirit. And, and, he's at work, and that's what we're praying for. We're praying, God, we need a true move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I want to finish with, with this thought because we would, if you could pull back the realm, the veil, so to speak, and look in the spirit realm when we're preaching the gospel, when we're sharing the gospel with people, because what's going on behind the scenes to even bring a person to salvation? One of the things that I've been asking the Lord lately is I've been saying, Lord, I, I want you to give me a heart for lost people again. Like I, I want to see lost people genuinely saved because, because I remember when I was first drawn by the Spirit you know, to give my life to Jesus and I want that drawing to be working in people. If a person doesn't know Jesus, I want them to come in here and I want them to feel so drawn by God that they just, they just can't get away from it. And, and I want even whenever we're out in public that we can just talk about Jesus and people just feel drawn by the Spirit out in public. And we want that because that's what the Scripture talks about. You know that the Holy Spirit is in our world actively working to draw people unto the saving work of Jesus Christ. He's at work doing this all the time. There's a guy named John Wesley, and he came up with this phrase called prevenient grace. Other scholars talk about prevenient grace or whatever. But what it means is it's the grace that goes before salvation. And what they're saying is that the Holy Spirit is at work even in lost people today. Right now, there's a drug dealer down somewhere in some house somewhere, and you know what? The Holy Spirit is at work in his life, convicting him, drawing him, and you know what? The Holy Spirit is at work in our life, sending us to them to preach the gospel. 
and he's cooperating on multiple levels. He's drawing people on the outside and he's using us from the inside and he's hoping that we would bear a light and bear witness to the fact of what Jesus Christ has done. And when you get all of those variables working together and the gospel is preached and your testimony is shared and we're moving, guess what? All of a sudden, the faith is generated in the heart of someone and they respond in faith to Christ and they're saved. It's a miracle that begins to take place. In John 6, I love this. It says, No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, God, by His Spirit, begins to draw people. Have you ever felt that in your life? Now, some of you, we've talked about this because a lot of times after service, here's what I want you to understand. Response to God, let me, let me rephrase this. The Holy Spirit initiates relationship with you. You don't, you don't up one day and find God, right? God's after you. When they hid from God in the garden and Adam went and hid somewhere, it wasn't Adam that said, God, where are you at? I'm looking for you. No, God showed up and said, where are you? God's looking for you. God is pursuing you. God is wooing you. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. The question is, will you respond? And when we respond to the activity of the Holy Spirit, it initiates more activity of the Holy Spirit. That means that if you feel led to come and pray at the altar, if you feel led to pray, by, to pray over your brother next to you, oftentimes it's a good thing, if it's truly the Holy Spirit, to respond to it because when you respond to that leading, it initiates more activity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But what we do all the time is we resist the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. We feel a nudge that says, go pray. And we say, no thanks, Holy Spirit, I'm good. It's a little bit uncool. And you know what the Holy Spirit says after about five or six times of that? Say, I sure would love to draw them, but they ain't going to respond. And what many of us need to do is say, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've not responded. I need you to use me. And I need to catch the wind. Because He is blowing and waiting for somebody to put their sail up and catch it and flow with Him and let them be used by God. But see, we just resist it. We resist those little urges, those little unctions. But Revelation twenty two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He's saying the Spirit and the bride. We are the bride. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride. And he says the Spirit is working with the bride to say loudly to everybody, hey, come. Come and drink of this water of life freely. There's an abundance and you can drink as much as you want, but it's the Spirit that is at work in us in the chaos, in the darkness, hovering, waiting on us to speak the Word of God. And let me tell you something. God will use a variety of things to draw you to Himself, won't He? I remember when I was in high school, one of the things that he started using in my life was I, I, was, I was wiring a Comanche, right? Driving down to, to Oneida one night, and we wrecked. Trey was with me, right? I about killed Jimbo's son. He forgave me for it, though, didn't you, Jimbo? Yeah, thank God. See, he back at church and everything. Thanks. <laughs> but we wrecked, and, uh, and that night, man, I got, I don't know, it was the weirdest thing. I started being convicted and I was, I was wondering what was going on, but God started pulling my heart. But do you know I still didn't relinquish? I still put up a fight against that. And, and it wasn't until later on, like, somebody started giving me, like, CDs of sermons and stuff like that. And I start listening to this stuff. And the Word of God starts getting in my heart. And then I got people praying for me. And it's like this convergence of prevenient grace and the Holy Spirit starting to draw me. And I sense this drawing, but I'm like, oh, I'm putting up a little bit of a fight. You know what I'm talking about? But day by day, I begin to yield more and more and more until finally I came to a full place of repentance and the Holy Spirit was poured out in my life. And everything broke. And everything changed in that moment. Because, see, you got to understand that two things happen simultaneously when the new birth happens. And one of the things is, is that there, there's an external call. There's an external call, a call from the outside. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. He's saying you were born again, not by church attendance, not because you went to youth camp, not because your mommy took you to church, young children, right? You're born again by the Word of God, imperishable seed that went forth. And he's saying that what happens is this Word of God, this seed goes out and it's planted in hearts and the Holy Spirit begins to water that seed of the Word of God and all of a sudden it brings about a rebirth in your heart. 
The gospel has got to be preached. Y'all believe that? I know some people say, well, you know, Clay, uh, we've had services, though, where nobody preached and, and God moved. And I say, amen, that happens, right? I'm fine with that. But at the end of the day, we believe in the preaching of God's Word because the Word of God is what brings about transformation. And if any of you all want to really see transformation in your life, what you need to do if you're not doing it is start reading the Bible. Man, that's a good, I'm, I'm giving good pastoral advice this morning. Like, this is just good. But see, Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And Paul goes through this big thing. He says, listen, how are they going to hear if nobody preaches? And how are they going to preach if they're not sent? But if they, do, if they are sent and they do preach, when the word goes out, faith is birthed in the human heart. And then they have the ability to respond in faith to this so that they can be saved. So there's an external call, but then there's an internal call. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. So you have this external call of the Word of God, but then you have the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. You need to respond. You need to pay attention. You need to be born again. You need to be saved. And for many of you, you have been saved. Many people in here, you're born again. And the Holy Spirit's still bearing witness with your spirit, saying, there's more. I need more of your life. Holy Spirit's saying, you can have as much of me as you'd like to have of me. But I want more of you. So here's what I'm going to close with. There's three fruits of this new birth. When you're born again of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that you're going to experience is you will have a hunger for God's Word and a thirst for God. And you know, I'll add to that. I was kind of one of those spiritual dudes. And you know how people, when they get real spiritual, they start saying these things like, uh, you know, I'm a Christian, but... I don't go to church. I don't believe in organized religion and all that stuff. And those people are really spiritual, aren't they? And to be honest with you, when you see people like that, oftentimes if you look deeper into their life, there's things going on where at the end of the day they're just unwilling to let go of certain things that God would not have them do nine times out of ten. Or maybe they actually believe in another religion than Christianity. But what you need to understand is that when the Spirit of God is at work in you, it doesn't make us perfect. And so often, people will actually judge the church and justify their own sins because the church isn't doing that great. You realize that, right? People do that all the time. Well, I mean, what, what I need to go to church for? Them people out there are sinners and hypocrites too. We're all sinners and hypocrites, folks. We come to the cross. We come to the blood. I'm not the person you need to judge yourself against. Jesus is. Don't come in here and look at Clay and say, well, what i got to be a Christian for, Clay ain't that good of a guy. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got to do with your eternal soul. It's got to do with Jesus Christ who has died for you. But see, when the Holy Spirit comes and you're born again, you will have a hunger for God's Word and a thirst for God, and you will desire to be among God's people as broken as they are. As broken as they are. But there's a thirst, there's a hunger that comes. And secondly, you will begin to pursue and live a holy life. Now, this is a tough one for people, right? I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but I'm saying there's something that takes place in your heart where your desires are no longer what they used to be. Your desires have changed, and you're beginning to pursue a life that is different. And thirdly, you will have conviction in your heart over the sins that you committed. I remember before the Holy Spirit started at work in my life, man, I used to sin and enjoy it, and I didn't feel bad about it. Anybody ever been there? Like, I just did it, and I was like, boy, I'm having a good time tonight. You know, I'd dance a little bit like that. I would. But then all the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and started convicting me and saying, no, that's not, that's not, that's not for you. And you've got to respond to this. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, I know one thing for certain. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in a person's life, He doesn't let them live like the rest of the world any longer. You know, Satan's very slick, and I think... I remember I had a buddy. I shared the gospel with him right after I got saved. And I remember talking to him about Jesus, man, and the Holy Spirit had led me to share with him. And I get done pouring my heart out, telling him about how God had changed my life. And I get done, and you know what he says to me? While he's currently sitting there deeply inebriated, honestly, and in bad shape, and we've been doing crazy stuff before, we were definitely not living for God. He says to me, Clay, don't you know I'm saved? I said, where's the evidence, you know? Maybe that's a hateful thing to say nowadays. 
I said, we can't believe that we're saved and living the way that we've been living. He said, but I prayed when I was 12 years old. I'm telling you, Satan loves to convince you that because you said a prayer, everything's good. And I believe in praying, man. I believe in responding and and praying and saying, Lord, save my soul. I need to be born again. But it's something we got to ask ourselves. Is is my life different? Have I been changed? Is the Holy Spirit at work in my life? And that's what we have got to come to a place where we respond to. So I just want you to bow your heads where you're at. You know, if you ask the Holy Spirit, a lot of times when I, even when I'm counseling people, I'll ask them, I'll, I'll say, just, you need to sit down before the Lord in silence and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any obstacle in your life, any darkness in your life that needs to be dealt with, any sin in your life. And you know that the Holy Spirit, if you're truly open to Him, He'll reveal that to you. So just ask Him. Say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me how I need to respond, what I need to do. And He'll speak to you. And I'm telling you, sometimes your heart will begin to beat out of your chest. And you'll know, man, it's time for me to respond. And so right now, maybe you've not given your life to Jesus and you want to be born again. Will you, as an act of faith, because you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you, raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anybody in here right now, just raise your hand. I see a hand. I see a couple of hands. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Now, here's what I'm going to do. I got another hand. I want you that have raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And it's not the prayer that saves you, but I'm telling you, when there's true repentance, God does something. So I want you all to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And I confess my sins to you. And I repent of those sins now. And I ask you to change my heart, to give me a new heart, and to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I confess you now as Lord of my life. And I give my life to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we just ask you right now to fill us all with your Holy Spirit afresh. Would you ask him, say, Lord, I need a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. You have not because you ask not. We want nothing between us, Lord. We want the fullness of who you are. We're open to you, God.